0: This content may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion advised.
1: I was absolutely positive that I heard his footsteps, and I swear I felt his presence. But one night I
0: awoke feeling as though something was pressing down on my face. This was because my daughter was holding a pillow over my face and was leaning on it.
2: But my friend wanted to make him suffer for all the suffering he'd caused his victims and their families. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre
1: happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed.
3: Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. This week, I'm bringing you three true, horrifying tales and a listener voicemail that will frighten and disturb. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with a listener submission from Marcella, featuring voice work by Tanya Eby, and we visit Devil's Canyon.
1: So a few years ago, my friends and I had decided to take a hike through the Southern Colorado mountains. We've never really gone hiking before, but we figured it was a nice day and we wanted to do something with it. So we took my friend's Jeep, got a few bottles of water, and made our way to a hiking spot that my friend, we'll call him Josh, knew about nearest folks. When we stopped, we had a few options of paths. I had decided I wanted to go down Devil's Canyon, as it seemed the most isolated, and I have massive social anxiety. So Josh and my other friend, we'll call him Andrew, grabbed their bags which held our waters, and we were off. Not too far on the path, I heard what sounded like a girl calling my name from the bushes, but when I asked Josh and Andrew if they heard it, they said they didn't hear anything. So I figured I was just feeling paranoid, simply because of the trail's name, and found myself shaking my head at the thought that a trail's name would make me that jumpy. Not too far along, we wound up in a clearing that we found odd, as there seemed to be a small cabin-looking structure built from sticks and twine that had a strange symbol made of the same materials hanging in the makeshift doorway. In front of it, in the clearing in the center of some trees, was a pentagon. We all kind of laughed, assuming it was probably a joke set up from somebody before us trying to spook the other hikers and I thought perhaps it was simply a circle that had been set for a Wiccan ritual. I had decided that since I didn't know who said it or why, and due to having a spiritual mother who always warned me against messing with things I know nothing about, I was going to sit a little further away to drink some water and catch a breath. Josh, however, had different plans. I heard Andrew expressing his concerns, telling Josh to stop it so went to see what was going on, and Josh had decided to sit in the middle of the pentagram. I rolled my eyes and told him it was highly disrespectful, especially if it were set up for a ritual, and warned him that if anything were to happen that he's on his own. Embarrassed by my scolding, Josh got up and we continued down the path. Feeling somewhat bad for the awkward silence, I had challenged the two to a race, to get to the end of the path, which seemed to lighten the mood tremendously. We all got to the end where there was a large, steep rock formation that had water lines down the middle that ended in a puddle at the base. Clearly, just now, full from the melting snow. Josh and Andrew climbed up with ease, but me being a 5 foot 1 inch girl who had decided to go hiking in flip flops, found myself struggling and needed them to pull me up. So we sat there for a good hour or so when the sun began setting. Deciding we wanted to get back to the car before needing flashlights, as everybody's phone was dead, and as inexperienced hikers, we didn't pack anything besides water, we started back towards the car. Andrew and I began having a conversation, and Josh walked silently behind us, and just as we were passing the bushes that I'd heard my name being called from, I had turned to Josh to ask for the keys, only to realize he wasn't behind me anymore. But that didn't make sense. I was absolutely positive that I heard his footsteps and I swear I felt his presence. I looked at Andrew, who now also looked extremely concerned as the sun was almost set and we couldn't see much besides the path. I ran. Suddenly, thoughts were going through my head of Josh slipping and falling or being kidnapped or somehow getting lost. Worst case scenarios. I called Josh's name over and over with no response. I passed the clearing with the pentagram, hoping beyond hope that he was messing with us and waiting in the middle for a good laugh. But he wasn't there. I kept reminding myself that he couldn't have gone far as there was only one path, so he had to be on it. Then I saw him and I felt so relieved. He was okay. He was safe. He was staring up at a tree I called his name, but he didn't respond. So I called again, wondering what was going on, and suddenly worried that I was going to spin him around slowly, only to see he'd been brutally murdered, like you see on horror movies. But when I touched his shoulder, he jumped and turned to look at me. I asked what was going on, but was met with a look of complete horror as he told me we had to run. Now one thing about Josh is he doesn't run, so without a second thought, He and I began running back towards the car, practically dragging a clueless Andrew with us when we passed him. We all picked up our speed when we heard growling from the bushes I'd heard my name come from earlier. When we got back to the car, we practically jumped in, me thinking there was an animal or some crazy person chasing us, Andrew completely confused, and Josh hightailing it as fast as his jeep could go back to the main road. When we were finally on the main road... Josh visibly relaxed, and I finally asked him what the hell happened. He told me that there was a woman who told him that he had to leave Andrew and I behind, or it won't end well for us. Apparently when I found him, he was being shown visions of Josh torturing me and Andrew. He said she was trying to convince him that he was needed in the mountains, and if it weren't for me running to find him and tapping his shoulder when I did, pulling him out of the trance, he's sure he wouldn't have made it back at all. I don't know how much of his side is true, if any of it, but the look of horror in his eyes and his physical relief when we got out of there, I really wonder if there was something out there that was trying to convince him to stay. Why him? Was this creature or person aware that he held the keys that got me and Andrew out? What were the intentions? I don't know. But the one thing I do know... I will never be going back to Devil's Canyon ever again.
0: You're listening to Disturbed from Disturbed Media.
3: Now our next story comes as a submission from Hannah and is featured in the book Everyone's Got a Story to Tell by Nick Fisher. Nick reached out and sent over a few submissions from his book, which is available for purchase on Amazon with a link in the show notes. This one featuring voice work by Sarah Thomas. And we become a target in the night.
0: There's always been a history of sleepwalking in our family. I used to do it. My brother used to do it. My father used to do it. And now my daughter does it as well. The difference is that when my brother, my father and I used to do it, we never tried to murder anyone. Whereas my daughter has tried to kill me on several occasions. Sleepwalking affects people in different ways. Some people get up and make a drink or get something to eat. Others will just walk around the house and then get back in bed again. And some will sit up and talk and have a full-blown conversation with themselves but me and my brother and my father did more than just walk and talk in our sleep. My mother told me that she once woke up shivering in the middle of the night, and when she got out of bed and turned the light on, she saw that all the bed sheets and the duvet and my dad's pillowcases had been removed, and she couldn't see them anywhere. She couldn't see my father either. So she went downstairs, where she found him bending down in front of the washing machine, putting all the bedding in it he'd decided to wash the bedding in his sleep. Another time, my mother woke up and realized that my father wasn't there. She went downstairs to find him doing the ironing. The only thing was that he wasn't actually ironing any clothes. He'd just got the iron and board out and was going up and down the board with it. My mother said my father never did the washing or the ironing when he was awake, so why he decided to do it in his sleep is anyone's guess. My mother was also awoken one night by the sound of Algier, our pet dog, barking. When she went downstairs, she found my brother on his hands and knees eating Algier's food out of his bowl. When I was five years old, my mother heard my bedroom door opening one night. She got up and saw me going down the stairs. She followed me down and I went into the kitchen and took Algier out of his dog bed and put him upstairs in my bed. I then went back down again and got in his dog bed curled up into a ball like dogs do, and carried on sleeping. This happened on more than one occasion. My dad and my brother and I used to do funny things like that in our sleep all the time. But when my own daughter started sleepwalking, in the end, the things she did weren't so funny. She started doing it when she was eight years old, and she'd routinely do the same thing. That was walk in our bedroom and stand by the side of the bed. I've lost count of the amount of time she's done it, and she always stood by my side, never my husband's side of the bed. She just used to stand there, staring at me with a kind of contorted, angry look on her face. This is how it started off. The first time it happened, it really startled me. I must have sensed that something was next to me, and when I opened my eyes, she was standing right by the edge of the bed, looking down at me with a weird look on her face, as though she was annoyed with me. I got used to it in the end, but one night I awoke feeling as though something was pressing down on my face. I couldn't breathe properly, and my face felt really warm and I couldn't see anything. This was because my daughter was holding a pillow over my face and was leaning on it. It was as though she was trying to smother me. I shouted and pushed her off of me, and she woke up and burst into tears. My husband woke up too, and we put her back to bed, and the following morning she had no recollection of it. My husband and I laughed it off at the time. But when it kept happening and the things she did became more frightening, it was no laughing matter. One night, I was awoken by an almighty whack on my head, followed by another and then another. When I jumped out of bed and put the bedroom light on, I saw my daughter standing there with our bedside lamp in her hand. And even though I was no longer in bed, she was whacking the pillow with it. She did a similar thing with the lamp a few nights later, too. I woke to find her holding the cord on it across my throat. But the most frightening one was when my husband woke up one night to find her standing over me, holding a pair of scissors. I was fast asleep, but my husband had woken up needing to use the bathroom. He saw her standing there, holding the scissors in both hands above her head, over me. He said it reminded him of the type of scene you see in a horror movie about Satan or devil worshippers, where there's a girl lying on the altar about to be sacrificed. My daughter had picked the scissors up off the chest of drawers in our bedroom. How long she'd been standing there with them above her head, we don't know. Thankfully, she didn't bring them down on me, and my husband was able to get them away. That was when we decided to seek help. We contacted doctors, sleep disorder specialists, and even a psychiatrist, None of whom could explain why my daughter would want to try to kill me. It's not as if I was very strict with her or if I'd punished her for something she'd done and it stuck in her head in her subconscious. I was far from strict with her, and I hardly ever told her off as she was a very well behaved child. The doctors, like us, were baffled why she was doing it. In the end, we found a simple solution we put a hook lock at the top of my daughter's bedroom door on the outside to stop her from getting out. And whenever she did try to get out, we could hear her door rattling as she tried to open it. And for extra peace of mind, we put one on the inside of our bedroom door too. I was then able to sleep peacefully without worrying that I'd be garroted, smothered, or sacrificed during the night.
1: have your own terrifying encounter? Did something unexplained happen to you? Let us know and get featured on the podcast. Email
3: at disturbedpodcast.com. There's nothing more disturbing than getting home and having to figure out what's for dinner. It's a true nightmare. But with HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip those after-work trips to the grocery store and the process of deciding what to make and simply count on HelloFresh to make cooking easy, fun, and most importantly, affordable. Now I know that my day is so much less stressful when I don't have to worry about what to make later and if I have everything I need to make it. With 40 recipes and over 100 seasonal and convenience items to choose from each week, HelloFresh keeps your taste buds on their toes. There truly are options for everyone and every lifestyle. I'm able to cut down a ton of prep and planning time because now I have a simple recipe with all the ingredients needed laid out and ready to go. The mozzarella crushed chicken is so tasty and one of my favorites. And if you want options for more than just dinner, you're covered for every mealtime occasion, from snacks and easy lunches, to seasonal celebrations and festive gatherings. And you know I'm bringing you a great deal to go along with it. So go to HelloFresh.com Disturbed50 to get 50% off, plus your first box ships free. That's HelloFresh.com Disturbed50 for 50% off and free shipping on your first box hellofresh america's number one meal kit
4: 24 hours ago i found out the person that i'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man that is my sister emma andrew tonks's lies had been so convincing she'd invested three hundred thousand dollars with him however the tables were about to turn on andrew That's what this was, a real-life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. On the morning of August 1st, 1966,
2: And I've sat silently and listened
4: to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects.
0: Looking for even more Disturbed? Join us on Patreon for ad-free listening, shout-outs, and Disturbing Calls bonus episodes at Patreon.com slash Disturbed Podcast. Apple users can subscribe to Disturbed Media Premium directly in the Apple Podcasts app.
1: You're listening to Disturbed. Now, back to the horror.
3: Next up is a listener voicemail from Marcy, and she details her experiences in her apartment.
5: Hello, friends. I just recently started listening to this podcast and I have a few experiences of my own that I thought would be okay to add to here. So I'm going to preface this story by saying I used to live in an apartment complex that was right next to a lake that was very well known for people dumping bodies in it. And the apartment complex itself was pretty old, and but it was the only gated community, so we kind of just went with it. And so my ex-boyfriend and I decided to move in here because it was pretty cheap and the safest area in where we were trying to live. So just to kind of give you an idea, when you come into the apartment, on the right to the door was a coat closet. To the left was the kitchen. And then after the coat closet on the right would be the bathroom. And then after the bathroom would be the bedroom. And then after the kitchen on the left, there would be the living room. So you would go into the kitchen, and in the kitchen it was kind of like, to the left was the sink, refrigerator, and cupboards up top. And then to the right there was the stove, countertops, more cupboards, and then there was a bar, and you could kind of see into the kitchen from the living room and vice versa. When we first moved in here, I kind of had a weird feeling like there might have been a presence Which, this was a pretty common feeling for me, especially when it came to being in newer places. And a lot of the time, it was kind of like, it would go away, unless, of course, there was a presence, and then I would kind of have to deal with it. We found out that this feeling was correct. Because about a month or so into living in these apartments, my boyfriend and I had decided to watch a show you know we got off work we wanted to relax we were both tired decided we were just gonna chill on the couch and watch a show and i decided to watch ghost adventures because it's been a long time since i watched that show and i start hearing this creaking in the kitchen and so i'm kind of looking over and i'm like what the heck is happening and i notice that the cupboard above the bar is slowly creaking open And I'm kind of just like, okay, that's a little weird, but I was kind of thinking maybe for some reason the apartments were like on some sort of angle and that's why it was freaking open. And then I see a pack of noodles, like spaghetti noodles, just fly across into the sink. And now at this point, I'm kind of like, what the hell? So I get up and I go to check, thinking maybe my boyfriend was playing some sort of prank on me. So I'm looking for anything that would possibly throw the noodles across the kitchen. And I can't find anything. And he and I are both kind of in shock. And we're just like, okay, that was weird. And we decide we're just going to continue watching the show and just ignore it. Ignorance is bliss. So we continue watching the show. And I had a cutting board that I had hanging up on the wall and we continue on with this show and the cutting board starts swaying back and forth and i'm kind of like well we have the ac on so maybe it's just the air making this thing move but then you know we look over and we notice that the cutting board is spinning wildly around this screw so at this point he and i are just like okay There's something here with us, and it does not seem to like what it is that we chose to watch. So we decided to put something else on, and all activity ceases. And then a few days later, as he and I were going to bed, we were laying in the dark, all lights were off, and kind of for a little bit more reference, so from our bed we could see the front door, and there was obviously always going to be a light under the front door because we were in an apartment complex and the light in the hallway was always off and we never really wanted to close the bedroom door due to wanting to be able to go to the bathroom when needed and whatnot so he and I are laying in bed kind of in the dark just kind of chit-chatting we're getting ready for bed essentially and then we start hearing our doorknob jiggling and we're kind of like who the hell is trying to get into our apartment right now as it's i don't know want to say like it was midnight or so or we both kind of shoot up out of bed and look over and we see a shadow hand and he and i both kind of freak out because we're like did somebody get into our apartment so we both grab our flashlights and we're looking you know we end up turning on all the lights and we're looking throughout the entire apartment under the bed in the closets we're trying to find whoever got into the apartment. Now, the apartment was small, so there's not really a lot of space to hide. And we could not find anything. So we both kind of look at each other and we're just like, did we both somehow have some, like, a hallucination, like, at the same time? Like, what the heck? And we kind of just say, you know what, we're tired. And we decide to go to bed. Uh, A few weeks after that, He and I were on separate shifts. I was on a graveyard shift and I got home in the morning and then he was on day shift. So he would get home sometime in the afternoon. So as I was getting home from my graveyard shift, he decided to go out for his job around the same time that I got in. And I was like, okay. so I went in, decided to go take a shower. And as I'm in the bathroom taking a shower, I start hearing banging on my door and, you know, I know that the walls are pretty thin, so I kind of call out, hey, give me a minute, I'm finishing up a shower, and the banging gets like louder and more obnoxious, and I'm thinking maybe the neighbors need something, and I'm just like, you know, just a minute, I'm almost done, you know, and so I kind of hurry to finish up, and I hear the door open, and I'm kind of like, okay, that's a little weird, but maybe it's my boyfriend, maybe he's Came back, forgot something or something. And, you know, I kind of get out of the shower and wrap myself in the towel when I hear banging on the bathroom door and my door is shaking. And I'm like, okay, if it were my boyfriend, he wouldn't be banging on the bathroom door. He would just ask for what he needed. So I'm kind of just like, what the heck? And I kind of look at the door and I'm like, okay, is somebody in the house? Is somebody here? trying to rob me or something and you know I'm thinking the lucky stars that I locked the door because I'm like you know they can't get in so and it goes quiet and I'm kind of like okay well again in my head I'm like well maybe it's my boyfriend maybe he's just pranking me trying to freak me out or something so I kind of like crack the door open and I don't know what I was expecting I was expecting like a spooky face to come flying at me or something and but there was nothing it was very anticlimactic so I open the door all the way and I look out and I'm trying to see you know somebody in the place and nobody's in there which I find weird because I'm like I just heard the front door open and you know it's closed now so if somebody came in so again I'm looking under the beds looking in the closet like there's really not space for anybody to hide and I can't find anything so at this point I'm freaked out so I just hurry up get dressed go outside and decide I'm gonna wait until my boyfriend gets home to kind of see if somebody you know was trying to break in and I didn't want to get hurt but nothing was there and I thought that it was it was definitely an odd experience so that's my story.
0: Get your voice on Disturbed with our hotline, available 24-7, completely free. Tell us your experience or just leave your comments on the show. Visit hotline.disturbedpodcast.com on your mobile
3: device or computer. This week we're closing out the show with quite possibly the wildest story we've had. This one also coming from our friend Nick Fisher's book, Everyone's Got a Story to Tell. And I'll preface this story by saying it was sent in anonymously, and while I can't personally verify if it's true or not, the possibility that it is, is pretty staggering. So with that being said, we close out the show with an anonymous submission, featuring voice work by John Patnode, and we get some grave justice.
2: People often say that if anyone ever harmed their kids, they'd kill them. But the truth is that most people who say it don't actually mean it. And that's because there's a big difference between saying it and doing it. But some people do mean it. And if they got the chance, they would. Also, for some, simply killing the person responsible for harming their kid isn't enough. They wanna make them suffer first. And when someone attacked my friend's daughter, not only did my friend make the perpetrator suffer, he made him suffocate. Being buried alive is probably one of the worst ways to die. Lying in a grave whilst someone shovels soil on you must be terrifying. But some people deserve to die this way. And I was of the same opinion of my friend, that if someone had made someone else suffer, then they should be made to suffer too. I live in the US, and for obvious reasons, I've withheld my name as well as the city where I live. Although what happened actually took place in a different state to where I live now. The ins and outs of everything what happened prior to what we did are mostly irrelevant. They could also be incriminating, so I'm not going to go into detail about them, as even though this took place a long time ago, and the victim was a despicable human being, if the truth came out, we could still go to jail for what we did. And so too could a retired police officer. My friend was divorced, and he had a daughter who lived with his ex-wife. And when his daughter was 15, she was molested. And like any dad would be, he was livid and wanted to kill the person who did it, and he swore that if he ever found out who it was, he would kill them. When hearing about a kid being attacked, a lot of people say things like, If that ever happened to one of my kids, I'd kill the bastard. But they don't really mean it. And in reality, if something like that did happen to one of their kids, and they did have the opportunity to kill the person responsible, they wouldn't go through with it. Even though they'd dearly love to. However. There are some people who, when they say it, they mean it. And if they were given the opportunity, they certainly would go through with it. And my friend was one of them. Not long after my friend's daughter was attacked, the police had a very good idea who the perpetrator was. And then further on into the investigation, not only were the police 100% certain that this person had carried out the attack, it also came to light that he was the main suspect for several other similar attacks too one of which was on an 11-year-old girl. The police didn't have enough evidence to arrest him at the time, but they said they soon would, and they informed my friend of this. But my friend didn't want him to be arrested, because he wanted to get to him first. The police knew this, and to be fair, they all said that if it was their daughter that had been attacked, they'd had felt the exact same way. There was one investigating officer who sympathized with my friend more than the others, and it turned out that the 11-year-old girl who was attacked was the daughter of someone he knew. And he said that he thought that sending the person who did it to jail for the rest of their life wasn't really justice at all, and that they should die for what they've done. Unfortunately, the state where we live didn't have the death penalty. A few days later, the officer turned up at my friend's house and informed him that they had virtually all the evidence that they needed to arrest the subject and that the arrest would be made within a week. He again said how prison was too good for the bastard, and said, You never know, someone may get to him first, huh? The officer then asked if he could use the bathroom before he left, and my friend said, Yes, go ahead, and so he did. As he was leaving, the officer said to my friend, A murder is very hard to investigate without a body, and sometimes, when people are reported missing, depending on who they are, it won't always look that hard for them. It was quite clear what he was implying. Later, when my friend went to the bathroom, he saw an envelope on the corner of the bath, and when he opened it, there was a photograph inside of the man who attacked his daughter, and written on the back of it was his address. He called me, and we did what had to be done. The next day, we drove to a forest 50 miles away from where we lived and dug a grave. Then, the following evening, we went to the guy's house where we beat him badly, tied him up and gagged him, put him into the trunk of my car, and drove back to the forest and threw him in the grave and buried him alive. Originally, we planned on shooting him whilst he was lying in the grave, but my friend wanted to make him suffer for all the suffering he'd caused his victims and their families, in particular his daughter. So we prolonged his burial by shoveling the soil onto his feet and legs first, we then slowly covered the rest of his body except for his face and head. He was squirming and crying as we did it, and he looked absolutely petrified, and after my friend had told him that this was revenge for what he did to his daughter, we shoveled the rest of the soil into his face, and as we did so, his muffled screams became fainter and fainter. Finally, we leveled the soil off and put the grass that we dug up back on top of it. It looked like it never been touched and no one will ever know that he's buried there. The officer who visited my friend and left the envelope returned to my friend's house a week later with one of his colleagues and informed him that they meant to arrest the suspect, but there was no trace of him, and said that it looked like he'd fled. They said that they'd issued a nationwide APB, All Points Bulletin, and said that they'd contact him as soon as they'd found him. And as they drove off, the officer winked at my friend. I think he knew they wouldn't be coming back to say they'd found him. I'm sure there are those who will say that what we did was wrong and that two wrongs don't make a right and all that. But if those people have got kids themselves, and God forbid one of their kids was molested, I think they'd want to put the person responsible in a grave too.
1: Follow our social channels on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod.
3: Make sure to check out Everyone's Got a Story to Tell by Nick Fisher, available for purchase on Amazon at the link in the show notes. Thanks to our sponsor HelloFresh. Please use our special link at HelloFresh.com Disturbed50 to get 50% off your order and free shipping on your first box. Using our link helps support the podcast. Don't forget you can send in your own true terrifying tale at DisturbedPodcast.com submit. If you'd like to support the show and gain access to bonus episodes, ad-free content, and early releases, visit patreon.com slash disturbedpodcast. And let's shout out our newest supporters. Greg Wilson, Debbie, Michaela Smith, Samantha Machio, Lynn Ziedler, Heather DeMarco, and Jennifer Grey. Thanks to all of you for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at WhiteBat Audio and AG. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And don't forget to stay safe out there, y'all.